I found losing Autumn to stillbirth one of the most isolating experiences because people don't know about it and they don't talk about it. And that's what made me, I felt like I almost was wearing a scarlet A. I, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. I didn't feel comfortable with what cards I'd been dealt because no one, it, it wasn't something that people talked about. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, I am honored today that the Orsini Way has partnered with the Finley Project to bring you this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. The Finley Project is a nonprofit organization committed to providing care for mothers who have experienced the unimaginable, the loss of an infant. It was created by their founder, Noel Moore, whose sweet daughter Finley died in 2013. It was at that time that Noel realized that there was a large gap between leaving the hospital without your baby and the time when you get home, that letter to start the Finley Project. The Finley Project is the nation's only seven-part holistic program that helps mothers after infant loss by supporting them physically and emotionally. They provide such things as mental health counseling, funeral arrangement support, grocery gift cards, professional house cleaning, professional massage therapy, and support group placement. The Finley Project has helped hundreds of women across the country, and I can tell you that I have seen personally how the Finley Project has literally saved the lives of mothers who lost their infant. If you are interested in learning more or referring a family or donating to this amazing cause, please go to thefinleyproject.org. The Finley Project believes that no family should walk out of a hospital without support. Well, welcome to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I will be your host today and every week moving forward. Although I only started this podcast back in early August, I've been very fortunate to have some great guests, and today is no exception. As with every episode, my promise to each and every listener is to leave feeling inspired, learn a little more about communication, especially during those times of our lives that are most critical. This week is no exception. Today, I have the honor to have a conversation with Debbie Hain. Debbie is a good friend, someone who I worked with before, and someone who I admire a great deal. On July 8, 2011, Debbie's daughter, Autumn Joy, was born still, and as expected, her life would never be the same. Debbie experienced a loss such that few people could ever imagine, but somehow out of the tragedy, she made it to the other side. Since that horrible day in 2011, Debbie has been a dedicated and tireless advocate of stillbirth rights and research at both the state and national level. She's been working tirelessly towards improving stillbirth outcomes and to raise stillbirth awareness. Debbie's horrific experience regarding the care she received when her daughter Autumn was born still led her to push for state and national reform. In 2013, Debbie assisted in drafting New Jersey's first ever stillbirth legislation, 
Then in June of 2014, Governor Chris Christie passed the Autumn Joy Stillbirth Research and Dignity Act. Later that year, Debbie found the Two Degrees Foundation, a New Jersey-based organization dedicated to giving her family in the state a fighting chance against stillbirth. Most recently, she's been working with healthcare professionals, key opinion leaders, and the Senate Majority's Office to bring her vision for the first ever stillbirth focus center in the country to her home state of New Jersey. And after much hard work on March 5th, 2020, Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg introduced the Stillbirth Resource Center. The Stillbirth Resource Center would help to fill many of the gaps related to stillbirth, especially with regards to data collection. It's hoped that the research conducted by the Stillbirth Resource Center will result in real solutions that will one day prevent or greatly reduce the incidence of stillbirth at births. Debbie's also a member of the Stillbirth Advocacy Working Group, co-chaired by the International Stillbirth Alliance and London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Debbie resides in New Jersey with her husband and two children. Well, welcome, Debbie. Well, thank you for having me, Tony. Happy to be here. And first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I know your schedule is very busy. You work tirelessly towards stillbirth advocacy, and I'm really happy. And I think my audience is in for a real treat today. To me, you're really the epitome of someone who experiences tragedy and then takes that tragedy to use it towards making the world a better place. My mother always used to tell me as we were growing up, always leave a place better than you found it. And I think that you're the epitome of someone who's experienced something horrible, but then wants to do everything possible to make sure that this doesn't happen again to someone else. So I'm really honored that you're here. And I know your story. You and I have known each other, I think, probably about four years now. We've worked together. You were an instructor for Breaking Bad News. And you've always had some really great advice for the people that we train, the young doctors. But if you would just take a moment and tell the audience about the day that Autumn was born and what happened subsequently after that. And maybe perhaps we'll talk a little bit later about the communications that happened before and after. Sure. Actually, my story starts on July 7th. During my routine second trimester checkup, the doctor told me that she couldn't detect Autumn's heartbeat. It was the most innocent of moments that took a horrifically tragic turn. And on July 8th is when I gave birth to Autumn. Nothing can prepare you for the moment that you deliver your dead baby. For me, it was like a switch had flipped. My life irrevocably changed the second that I brought Autumn into this world. I was devastated and mad beyond words. You know, for me, I couldn't wrap my head around how something like this could happen to me. Bad things like this happen to other people. And here I was, my daughter, dead, stillborn, and I I didn't know why. I thought at this point, you know, I've written about this a lot. I've said that, you know, I thought I'd paid my dues to the fertility gods. I had almost died due to a, a late presentation of group B strep after the birth of my first daughter and had then subsequently the following two years suffered two miscarriages. I always believed that after my first trimester, I was good to go. I didn't think that much more could possibly go wrong. Up until the point that I lost Autumn, I honestly really didn't even know what the true definition of stillbirth was. No one could explain to me at that time why she died or promise me that it wouldn't happen again. I really truly was at a loss. I'd 
at that point, three failed pregnancies in a row after a seamlessly easy first pregnancy. And I guess the best answer about all of why I do what I do is because I couldn't sit by and not do anything. I was compelled to give Autumn a voice. I couldn't let her life be lost in vain. I wanted to do more for my living daughter, Maya, because we also still don't understand if stillbirth is hereditary. And I really wanted to raise stillbirth awareness so that other families weren't caught in the same situation as I was and are learning what stillbirth was the moment that it happens to them. And that was nine years ago. And Mm -hmm. I totally understand this is not something that anyone ever can get over. And I could still hear your voice quivering as you tell it. I'm sure this is a story that you've told hundreds of times, correct? Yes. Uh, We had a good friend of mine here in Florida who runs a 501c3 called the Finley Project. And Noelle Moore also had a loss. And I know her story just as well as I know yours. And one thing in common is she still gets choked up whenever she tells that story. So I can't even imagine what it must be like for you. You told me the story of what happened after Autumn was born still. And there were some things that happened in the hospital. We won't name the hospital, but there were some things that happened in the hospital that did not go very well. and. We talk about difficult conversations and difficult situations and how we as human beings can handle that can either help somebody or hurt them. And it sounds like from your story, I'm convinced from your story, that there wasn't much that they did to make it better. In fact, they probably, I know they did a lot of things to make it worse and that really fueled you moving forward. So tell us about that. So... From the minute that I walked onto the labor and delivery floor, they put me into a room and left me alone to change. And I'll never forget that. They asked my husband to leave me alone and I was standing there and I'm starting to get undressed and I hear the cry of a newborn baby from the room next door and it stopped me in my tracks and Apparently the nurse must've been standing outside the door and she rushed in to get me, to bring me to a room all the way at the opposite end of the hallway where no one was around and no one never even said, I'm so sorry. She just said, oh, this was the wrong room and brought me there and left me to, to continue what I was doing. And from the moment that I was changed and in my bed, you know, I was bombarded with questions where all I was, was hoping that they were going to find out that they were wrong. I would get more testing and they were going to say, this was a huge mistake. We're so sorry. So I was really in denial of what was going on at that moment. And I'll never forget the social worker came in and started asking me about all these questions about what I wanted to do. And hold the baby, take pictures of the baby, take pictures with the baby, all these things that I couldn't wrap my head around. And, you know, I will regret it for the rest of my life. But I said no, because I could not, I wanted it to stop. I wanted her to ask, stop asking me questions. I wanted her to go away. And she never once came back to ask me 
if I changed my mind and things progressively got worse at that point, you know, after I delivered autumn, as I mentioned earlier, I had gotten very, very sick after the birth of my first daughter. And one of the biggest concerns after delivering her was that I could always possibly get strep B again. And what would we do if it happened? And so after I delivered autumn, I was in a ton of pain. I was feeling really awful. And one of the things that the hospital mandates is that you talk to a hospital psychiatrist after you have lost a child. And so the doctor came in to see me. And in that particular moment, I was in a ton of pain. And he looks at me and sits down and asks me to look him in the eyes and says, I think that the pain that you're feeling is psychosomatic. I want you to calm down. I think this is psychosomatic. It's not real. And I basically kicked him out of my room and, you know, was furious and he left. What happened following that, I was discharged a few days later with nothing more than a handout on the 10 stages of grief and a pat on the back and they bid me farewell. And it just so happened that I was still continuing to be in a ton of pain and I was readmitted the next day to the hospital and realized as I was trapped in a room by myself, not on a labor and delivery floor, no one was checking on me that I was super anxious and really unhappy and wasn't quite sure how to manage. And so I asked the nurse for some anxiety medication and I had to speak with a hospital psychiatrist to for them in order to fill my request. So the same doctor came to see me <laughs> and without even looking at my chart, sits down and says, I see that you're looking for anxiety medication. Aren't you breastfeeding? Oh my God. I had a few choice words for him and he left. And within two minutes, I had some, I think, Xanax sitting uh, in my hand and... So I left there angry and really mad at how I was treated. And it, it didn't help matters that after I came home, all I did was try to search for answers. I wanted to understand what had happened. And I would, was calling a number of different organizations. There aren't that many that, that you can find that focus on stillbirth. And I'll never forget, I called one. And I was crying and I was said, explained what happened. And I said, you know, I see, you know, I've been told I had a fetal demise, but I also see that there's this stillbirth and are they the same thing? And the woman on the other end of the line said, I don't know, let me call you back. And she never called me back. And from that moment on, I, I had it. (laughs) What, what can I say? Uh, I'm a Jersey girl. I was done. I was like, I'm going to fix this for others. It's unacceptable. It's inexcusable how it's treated. It's unacceptable that people who supposedly even work at organizations that seem to be focused on stillbirth don't know the definition of what one is, let alone don't call someone back who is just hysterical on the phone. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a positive story or a conversation that propelled me down this path of advocacy. It was all really bad. And I just was not okay with it. But there were opportunities along the way at the hospital and during your grieving period and during your tragic loss, that there were opportunities for people to have a conversation with you that might have made it 
a little less worse, or at least not made it worse, because it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like there were people who said things that made things even worse. Absolutely. And there is a huge opportunity to, uh, I mean, and, and it's true, nothing can make it better, but there is an opportunity there to not make someone feel worse about the situation that they are in and to support them and at least and give them a platform to jump off of when they're ready. I was basically thrown into a deep, dark ditch and, and left to find my way out on my own. For the audience out there and for you, I'd say you and I have had this conversation before. There's two things going on right now that we're trying to fix in medicine. One is that things to people who see something every day sometimes become routine. Uh-huh. and in medicine, I do a lot of teaching of patient experience. And one of the things that I stress, I call imagination. And what happens in medicine is that this may have been the fifth stillbirth of the week for that very large hospital. I know what hospital okay. it was, but it's your stillbirth. It's the only one that you'll ever have. And in order for the people who are entering that room, to genuinely feel the empathy, and actually it's not empathy, it's compassion, and I'll tell you what the difference is in a second, they need to take a moment to imagine what it's like. And so things become routine, and it sounds like that was the first error that Mm -hmm. everyone did at that hospital. And we talk about empathy and compassion, and during my lectures, empathy is understanding someone's pain. And people can be empathetic, that's great. Compassion takes it to a whole new level. Compassion in Latin means with pain. And so it means that you're actually feeling that person's pain. And the only way to get from empathy to compassion is through imagination. There are a lot of opportunities for those nurses and that psychiatrist to take a moment and remind themselves that this is what's going on with Debbie and imagine what it would be like to be her. None of us can really truly imagine that, but at least try. And the conversation would go better. So we talk about learning how to communicate, and there's a lot of do's and don'ts. And you and I have worked with Breaking Bad News, and I train physicians all over the country on how to do that. But a major step is just take the time and imagine what it would be like. And most people's compassion will flow. It really does surprise me that the psychiatrist was the conversation that you remember as being the worst because one would think that the psychiatrist would be best at it, right? One would think and hope that's not the case. And I will note that I did write a letter to the hospital because I was so floored, but they seem to just say, thank you for your time. We will make sure to speak with him. And the second thing that's happening here, so you have number one, what's going on is that we failed to take a moment to imagine that this is the only stillbirth that Debbie is having at this particular moment. And secondly, No one wants to give bad news. No one wants to be around tragedy because it reminds all of us of what could happen to us. And so we're uncomfortable. Then you take nursing school and medical school that totally ignore this topic. They don't teach you what to say. They don't tell you how to say it. And so now you're asking someone who's stressed out. This is no excuse. I'm just trying to explain it to the audience. They're stressed out. They were never taught to take the moment to imagine. They were never taught what to say. And all of a sudden, we end up with making a horrible, horrible nightmare worse, which is hard to do. 
It's hard to take something like that and make it worse, but they did. They did. Yep, they did. So even the people that you reached out to didn't have great conversations with you. They put you on hold and told you they call you back. And instead of going downward in the downward spiral, you, this is what I really, really respect you for. You said your jersey came out and you said, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> right? And, and tell me what you did after that. I started writing. I wrote a lot. I was fortunate enough to write a piece that got picked up by the New Jersey Star-Ledger, which is the largest paper here in New Jersey. And it got the cover of the opinion page on a Sunday. And somehow it landed on the desk of the Senate Majority Leader here in New Jersey, Senator Loretta Weinberg. And she showed compassion and empathy for what I had been through. She agreed with what I had to say and thought that it would make perfect sense to work on legislation that would improve policies and protocols for hospitals for when a stillbirth occurs and was able to see that improving data collection would be extremely valuable. That helped me with that part of the beginning of my advocacy journey as far as the writing and getting everything off my chest was very cathartic. I also felt like I was doing my part where I could in raising awareness and then to try to make a real difference and create change. In 2014, Governor Chris Christie passed the Autumn Joy Stillbirth Research and Dignity Act, which is the first stillbirth legislation here in the state. And it's been... It hasn't done as much as I would have liked to think that it would, but that's politics for you. And I'm learning that. But between that, soon after the bill got passed, I established the Two Degrees Foundation, which really has allowed me to connect with a number of different women who've been impacted by stillbirth and other forms of pregnancy loss and to empower them and help them as best as I could. Because at the end of the day, I just want to help to make things better where I can, whether it's through policy, whether it's through communicating with them and giving them a place to share their feelings with no judgment. So that's been, that's been exciting for me. I want to hear more about the Two Degrees Foundation, but I want to go back to the Autumn Joy Stillbirth Research and Dignity Act. First of all, I would imagine that it is not easy getting legislation through anything. No. <laughs> but what does the Autumn Joy Stillbirth Research and Dignity Act do at its finest? If the politics didn't get into the problem, what should it do? In its most simplest basic form, the purpose behind it is to improve data capture around stillbirth events, establish more consistent protocols for when a stillbirth occurs in a hospital and increase sensitivity around those protocols for suffering families. Clearly, there were no protocols at the hospital that Autumn was born. Clearly, there were none, no. And now, hopefully, that hospital does have policies? Yes, I hope. Unfortunately, I've spoken to other women who've delivered there over the past few years, and they have not really improved much of what they had going on. So... You have a lot of work to do, then, and I know that you're not going to stop doing that. Was there any conversation, because we always want to inspire and give advice, 
Uh-huh. Was there any conversation or any opportunity to have a conversation along your journey that someone could have said to you, what advice would you give to someone who said, I'm in this situation, this woman just had a stillbirth, and I need to go in the room, whether I'm a doctor, a nurse, a social worker. What would you say, Debbie, to them? This is what I would have needed. This would have been a good way to approach this. Tough question, I know. It's a really tough question. I truthfully don't think there is a lot to say. I found losing Autumn to stillbirth one of the most isolating experiences because people don't know about it and they don't talk about it. And that's what made me, I felt like I almost was wearing a scarlet A. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. I didn't feel comfortable with what cards I'd been dealt. It wasn't something that people talked about. And so I think if there was a way to, which I've one of the many things I've been working towards to break the stigma associated with stillbirth and make it a conversation. I think that women would feel more comfortable the same way that miscarriages. I mean, you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. And, you know, I wish there was more that I could do. I think just having someone say, I'm going to sit here with you. And if you have a feeling you can share it with me. And if not, I just don't want you to be alone. But I think it's a much bigger picture where if we can find a way to make it a safe conversation so that women are aware that these things do happen. Do they happen to everyone? No. But are they happening? Yes. Are they happening too much? Absolutely. And I think that if women are aware of it and it happens, you're not dealing with all those other emotions on top of finding out that you've lost your baby, the guilt that you feel that maybe you did something wrong or everyone else is having babies, but you didn't. I think that would just help soften, you know, the quote blow of this news of that you get when you find out that your baby has died. It's a conversation, a difficult conversation that people don't want to have because they feel uncomfortable. I'm surprised in the 25 years I've been practicing medicine, for instance, how many times people have twins. Mother has twins and one is stillbirth. And the baby that survived is with the mother. And doctors and nurses will come in and say, congratulations, and pretend that the other baby didn't really exist. And it's not that they're not good people. They're all good people. It's just uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And what I do is I make it a point to say, I'm sorry for your loss. And you can see the parents really do appreciate that, that there's a reason why this baby has a B after their name. Uh And that we know that that baby has a B after their name because it's a twin. And the other twin was born stillbirth, but we're going to almost pretend that that baby wasn't here and just As you said before, just maybe sitting there, maybe the best advice we can give to the audience is sit there and say, I'm here. If you want to talk, I'm here. Whatever you need, I'm here. One of the big mistakes that your hospital made is that they should have taken pictures. They should have encouraged you to hold your autumn. If you didn't want to, that's perfectly your choice. 
we have babies in the NICU and in OB that pass away. And I'll ask the mother if she wants pictures. And many times they'll say no. But usually I'll follow that up with, well, how about I take some pictures? I hold them. And if you want them, you could always call me. And our hospital does do that. And I've been very fortunate to work at hospitals that have done that. And statistically, 90% of mothers do ask, pick up the phone later on and say, do you have those pictures? Sometimes it's up to several months. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, most hospitals keep those pictures for one year. They, they do. They do. And, and trust me, I called and they didn't. Because you don't know. And that's what I want physicians out there and nurses to know that you're acting the way you're acting. And one thing that we know that 90% of mothers are going to want those pictures later, but you didn't know that at the time. And the mother that says, I don't want the pictures didn't know that at the time. So it's an opportunity for you to say, I'll take the pictures. I'll just hold them for you because you know that they're going to call back. And if they don't, that's fine. But I think the best lesson that you taught us is there's really not much that you can say what to say, but just be there. To your actions, being there. And I will, I will just add that I think it would be fair to also ask if they have a name for their baby and then you can call their baby by their name because they were alive at one point they're still their baby and will always be their baby so yeah that's great advice yeah and it's something that we sometimes forget but you do have to do that and i really i think that's really fantastic advice tell me about the two degrees foundation and how we can help and what you're doing with it and all the exciting things and how the audience out there can get involved Mm, well our mission and vision is pretty simple. We want to provide every family in New Jersey a fighting chance against stillbirth. You know, we're Jersey, you know, New Jersey stillbirth rate's been holding steady at approximately 700 stillbirths a year. And those are only the ones that are recorded. And, you know, as with most adverse health outcomes, there are longstanding and persistent racial disparities with regards to stillbirth here in the state. African-American women experience stillbirth at more than three times the rate than Caucasian women. And it's simple. More needs to be done. Everyone deserves the opportunity to have a healthy baby. So right now, our goal is to raise money. There's not a lot of education and training going on right now because of the COVID situation. We were planning on having our first huge fundraiser, which is very sad to say that will not be happening this fall because of the current climate with everything going on. And I think that right now we would love money. It would definitely (laughs) help with the center if we're able to get the bill passed, but that's a tall order. So I know that that's probably not as realistic as it is to have support. Please become a member, join us and follow us on social media so that you can learn about what we're trying to do. And if and when the opportunity presents for them to help, whether they ask to volunteer or whether they ask if they could donate, they know how to find us. Because as you said before, I am not going anywhere. Two Degrees is not going anywhere. And we have some big plans. So hopefully we can make them all happen at some point in the future. The world needs more Debbie Haynes, and that's for sure. <laughs> and because you are not going anywhere, and I like that. And you are not going to stop until you get what you need. And I think you should, because it is something that is, wasn't being talked about enough. I think thanks to you and other organizations that were changing that. If they want to donate or get involved, what's the website that they should go on? 
It's www.the2degrees.org. And it, I've been on the website, and it's a fantastic organization. Debbie and I have worked together on different Breaking Bad News projects. I hope that we can work together again. Debbie, in closing, before I say thank you and goodbye, any words of wisdom to two people out there? One word of wisdom to the healthcare professionals on what they can do to help, and a word of wisdom to mothers who have just experienced stillbirth. My words of wisdom to the healthcare professionals is to be respectful, compassionate, and empathetic. Even if you're having the worst day ever, you're not having as bad a day as that family, that couple, that mother is having. My words of wisdom to mothers are simple. Be kind to yourself. There is no rule book as to what this looks like or what you're supposed to do. Follow your gut, believe in yourself, and know that if you find that you want to advocate for yourself in future pregnancies or any other time, do it. I want to empower women more than anything to speak up for themselves and never doubt themselves. That's great advice. If you are a healthcare professional or if you are a mother who's experienced a stillbirth or someone out there who just wants to help this cause, please go to the Two Degrees Foundation. Donate your time, donate your money if you can, whatever you can do, because it is something that we really need help with. And we need more Debbie Haynes out there. I just want to say thank you again, Debbie. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button, download, and leave a review. If you need to find out more about what we do at the Orsini Way, you can go to the OrsiniWay.com website and you can email me or contact us through that. Debbie, thank you again so much. Thank you for being you. You certainly were inspiring and you certainly gave some great advice to people. And I think I accomplished my task to the audience today. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a true honor. Well, before we leave, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. And I want to thank the Finley Project for being such an amazing organization. Please, everyone who's listening to this episode, go ahead, visit thefinleyproject.org, see the amazing things they're doing. I've seen this organization literally save the lives of mothers who lost infants. So to find out more, go to thefinleyproject.org. Thank you, and I will see you again on Tuesday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.